You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hello, Kensington. Thanks for joining us today. We're so glad you're here. I'm Shauna. I'm one of our teaching pastors. And I'm on this screen to welcome you and to invite you to join us for our next Faith and the Family event. Now, if you haven't heard of our online Faith and the Family events, they are regular events planned by our K-Kids staff to equip and support parents with relevant topics about raising children. I'm a mother of two boys, ages 14 and 12, and I can definitely understand the need for support and insight as we do this awesome, but sometimes overwhelming work of guiding our kids. Faith in the Family events have covered all sorts of different topics, but this upcoming one is especially important. On March 22nd, join us for Protecting Kids Online. With the rapid changes in technology over the past few decades, we can find ourselves unfamiliar with the online world our children engage in. I'll be hosting this event, and I'm really looking forward to gleaming wisdom from our special guest, Brandon Poor. Brandon has conducted hundreds of forensic examinations for cases involving internet crimes against children and educated many within and outside law enforcement. He will outline the dangers of popular apps and online games and give insight into the tactics child predators use. So please join us for this important event by registering at kensingtonchurch.org slash faith and family. We are currently in week two of our series, The Generous Way. Our culture is obsessed with how much money we can accumulate. Even our happiness, identity, and peace are often directly connected to our financial standing. But we believe that peace and contentment come with open-handedness, not with whatever idea of enough is. So here's a quick recap from last Sunday when we talked about how generosity is actually a heart thing and not a financial thing. If you read through the Gospels, you'll never find Jesus taking up an offering. His point wasn't, I want to get your stuff. His point was, I want to get your stuff untangled from your heart. And that's why Jesus says, don't spend your life chasing after this, accumulating this, because it is unworthy of who I have created you to be, but rather pursue something that is so much greater. And there's always this push for newer and bigger and shinier and brighter and better and more cutting edge. And what this does is this pulls our hearts in many different directions. If we could all just be a people that learned how to live a little bit more generously, I mean, what kind of impact could that have on our community and the world? But I think the generous way is a way of peace, freedom, fulfillment, and joy. And maybe God is inviting us to understand it a little bit more deeply. We've got all these gadgets and gizmos that show us the the health of our heart. And I think in this moment, what Jesus is inviting us to is to spiritually take a moment where we get to check the position of our heart. Again, thanks for being here with us today as we continue to unpack what the Bible says about living fully and generously in week two of The Generous Way. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Orion. How are we today? Good, all right, sweet. We wanna welcome those of you online that are joining us as well. So today is Name Tag Sunday. Hopefully you guys grabbed a name tag and wrote your favorite Disney character on there. Yes, did we participate in this? Okay, I, am, I chose Maui from Moana. Did anyone else in the room choose Maui from Moana? Really? He's not a, I mean, it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. How are you not? 
what's the deal? What's the deal? No Mauis. I'll give you one more chance to raise your hand. Any Mauis? No? Oh my, gosh, this is shot. Okay, there, thank you so much for that. The camera guy's like, I'll raise my hand so you move on, please. But hey, listen, we actually went the extra mile this morning and we got a real life Flynn Rider to lead worship for us today. So we, do you know who Flynn Rider is? The guy from Rapunzel? Uh, I mean, come on, it's uncanny, is it not? Like, total, no? No, you guys don't see it? Yes, you see it, yes, I know, I know. It's a compliment, man, it's, you're, you're, a, you're a handsome fella. All right, so listen, it has been an incredible weekend here at Orion and across our Kensington campuses. Yesterday was really, really awesome. We had the IF gathering. Uh, one of the breakouts was here at our Orion campus. We had a breakout at uh, the Clinton Township campus and the Troy campus. We had over 200 women show up for the day and we simulcasted a conference and it was a beautiful time where the women were able to worship together and hear speakers and, and keynote speakers and have lunch together and build community and fellowship. And so that was really, really awesome. And then after that, last night, starting at about eight or nine o'clock, we had a middle school lock-in for the night, an all-nighter type deal. And so they had a worship gathering here where all the campuses came. We had over 350 kids show up and uh, they all came in here, and Shauna, who was just in that video, she shared the gospel message with them, and then they went to the Legacy Center in Oxford, and they did bounce houses, uh, the, the trampoline park. They did, I mean, look at that. Can you imagine doing that for like seven hours straight? I mean, they finished this morning at like 6 a.m. It was absolutely incredible. And so we had that going on this weekend. But listen, here's the deal. When, I, when Kensington does stuff like this, if you wanna be a part of that, and you want more information for that, you can visit the hub today and say, hey, I want information, what do I do? I wanna be part of the next IF gathering. I wanna be part of the middle school ministry and stuff that's going on here. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter. The Kensington newsletter and the Orion newsletter is how we get most of our information out to you guys so we can communicate it on a mass scale. And so if you're not getting that information, make sure you visit the hub and say, yo, I want the information because I want my kid to be part of crazy trampolines and go-karts, or I want to be part of the IF gathering and other things that we have that are, are family-specific or whatever. And then that, that gathering that's happening on the 23rd, the online gathering about the digital stuff, man, that is going to be so powerful and so huge. And so make sure that you take an opportunity to, to be a part of that. Yeah, protecting kids online. This is for those of us who have the only, evidently the only six-year-old that doesn't have a cell phone out of their friends. Right? This is an opportunity to talk through some of the issues and some of the things and be prepared to have those conversations. One last announcement I want to give is that we are launching Bible Basics starting next Sunday. And Bible Basics is a five-week course where, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's the Bible Basics. And so whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or you're brand new to this whole idea, this is an awesome opportunity for you to connect with other people here at Kensington and go through the scriptures and how to understand and how to approach it and how to read it, how to apply it. And so it's a great opportunity for you. And it's happening during the 11 o'clock service. So if you wanna come to the nine o'clock, that's a rowdy crew, man. If you, wanna, if you haven't been part of the nine o'clock they're a little rowdy. So you can come to the nine o'clock and then do Bible basics at 11, but it's a great opportunity for you to get plugged in and to learn more about how to process this book and apply it to our lives. Now, this morning, actually, let me back up a little bit. Wednesday night, we had midweek this past week, and it was an absolutely incredible time in here. And so if you joined us, you know it was such a beautiful night of worship. And I shared a little bit about the inconsistency and craziness of the world around us and how, you know, life gets all bananas sometimes. It seems like life gets off the rails and there's all this stuff happening and we're like, man, where is God 
in all of this potentially. And we ask, is God even active? Is God even a part of this? What's happening here? And we said, you know, no, listen, even though life can get crazy, God is constant. God is consistent. And we shared through that last week. And so I'm drawn to a passage this morning out of 1 Samuel chapter 12, where it's a cycle in the, it's a time in the Israel, for the Israelites where they've been led by prophets and judges, and now they see all their neighboring communities being led by kings, and they say, we want a king. We want a king, we want a king. And they go to Samuel, who is the chief prophet at the time, and they're like, we want a king. And Samuel's like, okay. He goes to God, and God's like, okay. Give them what they want. And so then they get this king, and they get in the process of it, and then they start feeling bad about it. And they're like, ooh, we might not have made the right decision, whatever. And so Samuel is addressing the people of Israel. And he's saying, he says this. He says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. They start questioning themselves. They start questioning what's happening around them. They start questioning their decision. And he says, Samuel says, hey, remember all the great things that God has done. You know, we say this a lot around here that, that uh, God's faithfulness in the past is, is what gives us clarity for the now and hope for the future. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna celebrate some of the things that God has done. Even though life can be crazy, even though work can be crazy, even though our families can be crazy at times and the, the global situation going on can be crazy, we can look at the past and see what God has done and that can give us hope for the future, right? Samuel says, he says, consider what great things he has done for you. And so this first song that we're gonna sing is all about that. So if you'll stand with me this morning, I wanna invite you to celebrate the great things that God has done. Let's worship. We're gonna lift up a yes and amen this morning as we celebrate the great things God's doing it on this. Come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done
Okay, well, we are going to uh, continue in our worship this morning. Uh, and as we do, I, I just wanted to take a brief moment to pause and share a thought that had occurred to me uh, earlier this week as I was sort of preparing for our time together this morning. I was reading, and I read something that said, uh, when God speaks, it's often through a whisper. And I thought, that's interesting. And also a little odd, because when I think of God speaking, I think of you know, power and might and authority and, and him making his presence known in our lives, right? I mean, when you look at scripture, the very first thing you see is God speaking, and it's, it's no small moment, right? In the beginning, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be land. God said, let there be creatures. God said, God said, God said again and again, and it was so every time. You see, when God speaks, things happen. All through Scripture, we have a record after record of God speaking and things happening, right? God speaking light into darkness, uh, victory in, in battle, speaking chaos into order. So I thought, why a whisper, right? Those those don't seem like whispery types of things. And then it hit me. In order to hear a whisper, what do we first have to do, right? We have to quiet ourselves. And we have to come in close to hear. And so that whisper from God is an invitation to step into his presence where all those things I mentioned before, all those things happen. And so as we sing this next song, I just want to encourage you to join us as we um, quiet our minds, as we still our hearts, as we lean in to listen to maybe what it is that God is wanting to say to us here in this moment this morning. speaking 
Yeah. 
You guys can go ahead and have a seat. You guys notice Joe's nod to me. Time to come up. It's because I walked out way too soon at the end of last service. Literally middle of the song, I came up, put my hands on his shoulders like that was awesome, and he kept going. And I just did the moonwalk to the other side of the stage and sang in front of the whole room for 10 minutes. It wasn't 10. When I was uh, listening to that song earlier this week, it reminded me of a verse um, that for me was something I read 20 years ago, and it has been one of those kind of staple verses uh, that keeps drawing me back, I think, to right posture with God, and it just even creates right trajectory in certain moments for me. It's found in a book called Jeremiah 33, verse 3. It says, cry out to me, and I will answer you. So we sing a song, when you're speaking, well, that comes right out of the truth in the scriptures. Jesus says, if you cry out, I will answer. And it's so cool because he goes on and he says, and I will answer you with great and unsearchable things that you do not know. There's some translations that actually take that phrase, great and unsearchable things, and they kind of translate it slightly different and say, I will reveal to you secrets. And there's this idea in, in that verse, several ideas. One, that God speaks, that God listens, he has a voice. His voice can be heard by us. Our voice is heard by him. And so I want to do something that we did in the first service. It was kind of a last-minute thought. And I want to start that way this morning with you. If God really does speak, and I believe he does, then let's tune our ear for a minute to him. Because he's the most important voice we need to hear from today. Not mine, not Joe's, not anybody else's. It's his One of the stories in the Old Testament, some of you might be familiar with, it involved a prophet when he was younger. Uh, His name was Samuel. He's kind of got this older mentor at the time, Eli. And the story is that there was a a time where Samuel was laying in bed. Some of you know the story. Maybe some of you don't. So I'm going to tell it real quick. And as Samuel lays in bed, he hears a voice and he hears his name called. And so he runs to Eli in the other room. He's like, what? He goes, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And this happens multiple times. And by the end, Eli realizes, oh, that's God. And he says, okay, here's what you do. Next time you hear your name called, here's what you do. You just respond, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And so I want us to take a minute and just listen and see if God has something he wants to say. Because some of us, maybe we're in a place right now where we would just love to have a conversation about anything. I'm good. I just want to talk. I want to listen. I want to hear from you. Maybe some of you, kind of like that verse said in Jeremiah, maybe there's some cry that you need to get out. Or maybe some of you, you're like, not even sure there is a God. But I would assume that you're either tuning in with us online or you're sitting in this room because you would hope that if there is, that he would talk and he could be understood and he could be heard. And so I just want to give you a minute to do that. And, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to even change it up from the first service just slightly. I saw you guys over here. I hope it's okay. I'm going to point to you for a second. I love watching you and worship for just a second. I wasn't like creepy staring at you. I just happened to look over and, and y'all were like this with your hands open. Sometimes the posture of our physical body creates a posture in our internal body, in our soul. So here's what I would just love to do for a minute, because I really do believe God speaks. And maybe something he needs to say to you today has nothing to do with anything that will be said from this stage. So I'm going to sit with you, and I'm just going to give a minute of space to listen. And so here's what I would just ask you to do. Maybe you can place your hand. You don't have to do this, but if you would, if you feel comfortable, just put your hands out on your lap as a posture to say physically, also kind of emotionally and spiritually, I'm open, I want to hear, and then just say this with me, if you will, out loud. Speak, Lord. I'm listening.
think one of the amazing realities of God's voice is he can cut through any noise, including my voice. If all it is is noise today and he needs to say something else, he'll cut through that and you'll hear what you need to hear today. So let's just keep that posture. God speak. We want to hear. I grew up in a church, uh, maybe a little bit like some of you, that was um, just super legalistic. I don't know how else to say it. What, what they did a great job of is teaching me the rules of God, if you will. Like, I feel like growing up there, I learned all of the do's and the don'ts and all of these things that I needed, in their opinion, to do to please God until I realized years later that actually isn't how you please God because we can't please God. But what happened for me is I learned a lot about God, but I don't think I ever caught a picture of his heart. And so in high school, my family moved to a different church, and it was the first time literally in my life that I had heard this pastor on stage, his name was Kevin, for the next number of years, talk about the passion of God's heart for people, for me, for you, for us. And it, it was almost like I was meeting him for the first time. Because it had gone from having all of these rules and do's and don'ts that I grew up understanding God to be to realizing, no, 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 he is a God of love and compassion and passion for me. And it was literally like all of a sudden, as I feel like I'm meeting God for the first time, I'm, I'm learning and understanding more than just these do's and don'ts and the life he draws me into, but I'm understanding his heart for me. And as that began to happen for me, suddenly I found myself doing more than even just believing in him, but actually falling in love with him. So what I love about this section of teaching that we used last week is our kind of foundation of the series out of the book of Matthew, because I think it's a picture not just of our own heart and the health of our heart, but it's also kind of the beginning construct of the health of a heart of God himself and what God's heart is for. So I want to read it again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus once said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And this was the verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we said last week that part of the mark of a healthy heart is a generous heart. We are very clear last week, I'll reinforce it today several times, God is not after your stuff. He is after your heart and trying to detangle it in the way that it so often gets tangled up with our stuff to lead it to be unhealthy because an unhealthy spiritual heart becomes an unhealthy physical life. So God's whole point is I want your heart healthy. But here's what's so great about this section of verses. It's not just a reflection of what he says about our heart and where it could be and how to measure it and how to mirror it. It's also the beginning look at his heart because what his heart is for is you. When he talks about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also you are the treasure of God's heart. And that's something that I began to learn in a whole new way when I moved to that other church in high school, that I am the treasure of God's heart. Because for the longest time, I used to think that when God was speaking to me, it was just out of angst and frustration, and you didn't do this right, and you screwed that up, until I realized that's not at all how he talks to me. What he does is he talks to me like a dad who loves his son. So I want to talk to him for a minute and just ask him to speak to us continually throughout this morning and particularly to give me the ability to honor him as I talk about his word. Father in heaven, on earth below, who holds all things together and in whom all things derive their being and their name, I just acknowledge you this morning and ask that you would do what only you can do to talk to us, to grab our hearts, to grab our minds, 
You are not a God of just emotion. You are not a God of just intellect. You are a God that is holistically after all of who we are. And so would you do business with us in all the realms that we need you to this morning? That we would continue to become people who are more free to be who you've made us to be, to be what you've made us to be. I pray, God, this morning as we open up your scriptures, do bring them to life. This is a place that you speak. And so I pray that you would give us ears to hear, to understand, to know what it means for us, some of it written thousands of years ago, to understand how these words transcend time and space and culture and people to us here right now in this room and in multiple rooms as we watch online. God, would you speak through all of them and all of it to grab our attention to most of all, I pray, grab our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, by the way, you, um, you know as Joe and I, we dress alike today. This is the second time that we've come in on a Sunday morning dressed alike. So we're going to have to start coordinating on Saturday nights, we decided. So you call me, I call you. And then he looked at me, it's funny, this morning, he goes, he goes, yeah, we are wearing the same jeans. He goes, Express? I'm like, yeah, that's the only jeans I wear if my wife goes shopping for me. I don't have cool jeans otherwise. So, yep, you guys didn't really care to know all that, but now you do. So I want to take up for just a minute a pause of offering uh, where we're going to collect up our offering as a community. Super important part of who we are and what we do as a church. Uh, And I always love to attach these moments to really the outpour of what it is that God gives us opportunity to do for the kingdom. Last night was a great example of that. This room was packed out, as Sam said, with over 300 of our junior hires from across campuses, some of which have never stepped foot into a church before, all of which heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a God. His name is Jesus. He is wildly passionate about you. And I just love that for so many reasons, but one of which is so much of our statistics right now point negatively to younger generations and how the church is missing them. And I'll be one of the first to say we do have to figure some things out as the church. We are missing a little bit of how we kind of transcend across generational lines to bring the message of Jesus to younger and younger generations. But there's almost a hopelessness at times when this gets talked about. Oh, we're losing them. Oh, the church is losing them. Guess who's not losing them? Jesus. And there was over 300 of them in this room last night. And I love that because for all that is true about what the church has got to figure out about how to continue to reach younger generations for Christ, here's the hope is Jesus Christ is reaching them. And a bunch of them were in this room last night to hear about his love for them. And that's going to continue to impact them and the world around them. And your generosity, like these are moments that make that kind of stuff happen. So if you're a part of that, we keep saying thank you. And if you're not, man... I just don't think there's too many better things to do with your money than to help support the work of the kingdom. So uh, I think, were they up there already? Did we give you all the ways? So here's the ways that you can be a part of that if you're not a part of it. And again, if you are, we are so thankful for you. All right, so this morning, part two of our series that we've been in, I wanna give a couple of disclaimers up at the front. Because I think today is going to be a great part of the series. It's going to be a great continuation on understanding this dynamic of our heart and our stuff and the entanglement and health. But a couple disclaimers. Today is going to be the day of this whole series and potentially of my entire time here at Orion that some of you are going to accuse me either in your minds or possibly out loud of being a liar. Today's a day where you're going to wonder whether or not I'm actually a little full of it. And you go, full of what? Well, that's going to depend on how strongly you feel about what I say today. 
Because today is the day, like I warned you, that throughout this series, we are going to have moments that there will be challenge that has to do with your stuff, that has to do with your money. God's not after your money, but there will be challenge to it, and today is going to be that day. And so this is going to be the day that for some of you, I will play a little bit into your fears or maybe fully into your fears about what mega churches are about, what mega church pastors are about. Maybe today is going to be the day that for some of you, you'll wonder if in fact the staff really does want a plane. Today will be the day that for some of you, here's what I think will happen. Some of you, today's the day where you're going to go right message, wrong time. I just paid 80 bucks to fill up my gas tank earlier in the week. And so as we're talking about money and we're talking about trusting it to God, there's going to be a tendency for some of us to go, okay, yeah, I get that, Bible and Jesus said so, and, but man, could this come at a worse time right now. Super quick story. Years ago, the church that I had started called Paradox, uh, right at the downturn of the economy, so we'd started in 2006, things got really bad in the next couple of years. There was this really painful moment where as people just kept losing jobs and fleeing the state in masses, uh, we started losing all kinds of people and money. And there was one particular moment where we were hemorrhaging almost 10 grand a month. And so we had this meeting to try and figure out with a couple of our staff and our finance guys, like, what do we do? And I'll never forget this. We went out to eat at Outback because we figured, well, this is going to be a tough meeting. We might as well have steak in our belly. So we sat around this big round table And we walked into that meeting with the anticipation of how do we cut stuff? Now, here's what happened really interesting along the way, because that was the right thing mentally to do. I mean, logically to do at that time. And there was this shift that happened in the middle of that. And all I can describe it is, is literally the Holy Spirit just said, wrong conversation. And so this shift that happened, suddenly we started talking about how to give more money away. And what we decided is we would rather live open-handed and close our doors than live closed-handed with open doors. And so that's where we put our money, no pun intended, where our mouth was. And we had always believed for that first couple of years, uh, we had not put aside any money to plant other churches. But we knew from day one, that's part of what God had called us to do, is to plant other churches, not just ourselves. And so that night, we walked away from the table, and we didn't cut anything. We actually took everything that we would have cut, and we contributed into a fund for church planning. And all of us were like, this is insane. And all I can tell you is that over the next couple of years, God did unbelievably incredible work in that community. And never once did we struggle to meet ends meet, to reach people, to accomplish our goals. And he did it all. I'm I'm telling you, there will be a tendency to go right message, wrong timing. And I'll be honest with you, I feel a little bit of that tension in myself. And yet, I have to default back to the countless times I have sat in a moment like that and realized there is not a wrong time to apply what God asks us to to our lives. There just isn't. All right, so everybody glad you came to church now? Come on, just give me a little bit of feedback today because this is going to be fun and it's going to be a little challenging. But everybody say this with me, challenge is good. 2013, quick story. I went into the doctor for a regular visit. Come home the next day, get a phone call. The office says, hey, we're going to need you to come back. There was something off with your blood. I go, really? What's off with my blood? He said, you have an abnormally high white blood cell count. So I was like, oh, well, what does that mean? I have since learned that the office receptionist should not have answered this question, but she did. And she says to me, well, it either means it was an anomaly, nothing, or leukemia. <laughs> what the heck? Leukemia. I'm like, okay, when do I come back in? I'm free now. And she says, no lie, two weeks. 
like two weeks. This is the longest two weeks of my life where I'm like, are you kidding? So I go back in, I have more blood drawn. They go, okay, anomaly, you don't have leukemia. I'm like, that's, whew, that's good to know. But then they say, however, after several blood draws, uh, your blood sugar is too high. And so we need you to come back in. Long story short, multiple more visits. I come to find out I have diabetes. And uh, it's in my family, but it, everybody else that has it, it was either early onset or they just were super out of shape. And I'm like, I'm neither of those really, so how do I have diabetes? So I started to learn more, understand more. At one point, my doctor says, all right, uh, let's talk about insulin. I said, all right, let's not. He says, is there anything else we can do before I just go on to insulin? She's like, well, we could try to make some changes, but it's going to be challenging. I'm like, why? And then she goes through all the things I had to stop eating. I was like, oh, that's why. See, I love pretzels and ice cream, could live off them. And at that point in my life, every night, like my nightcap was a bowl of ice cream. And if I was really splurging, some Spanish peanuts and a little bit of chocolate sauce. And I just thought that was a good, healthy thing to do. And she's like, no, that's not healthy at all. I'm like, oh, whew, thank goodness I still have pretzels. She's like, even worse. I'm like, oh, oh man. And so I decided, all right, I got to make some challenging changes. And one of the things I did at the start of that was I set myself to something that for me would be a big challenge. It would start the trajectory of the change. And I decided to become a runner. I realized very quickly, I'm not a runner. Any runners? Don't get you people. You're amazing. I don't understand it. All it does is hurt and I hate it the whole time. But I thought if I hate it that much, it's going to be the catalyst to change. Because change is what? Change is good. And challenge is? Good. Okay. So I'm like, all right, I need a challenge to create the change. And so I decided to sign up for this race. I had a couple months to get in shape and get ready for it. I kid you not, at the start of the whole thing, my only goal was, because the first day I ran and I didn't come even halfway to my goal in terms of distance. So I'm like, all right, here's my only goal right now. Show up. As long as I can get out of the house and get to the park, that's my goal. So I started running for the next couple months. My pace got faster. My distance got longer. And this is actually a picture of finishing the race I had signed up for. I did an obstacle. Yeah. So here's funny. At the very end of it, I'm crossing a line. And my buddy's like, picture, because they knew the story. And they're like celebrating with me. And I cross the line and I slip. So that's why I'm totally covered in mud. That poor girl there was completely clean when I ran up. She's trying to hand me water, and I just kicked mud right in her face. So that's just, he snapped that whole moment right there for all eternity. But for me, that smile, that moment, that whole muddy mess, that was a moment that wasn't the culmination of the challenge as much as it was the beginning of it that put me on a whole new trajectory. Happy to say today my A1C is better than it's ever been. I am not on insulin, and my doctor tells me if I keep doing what I'm doing, uh, then I'll hopefully never be on it, and she wishes all of her patients would do this. But all of that was a result of me embracing some challenge. So one more time, say challenge is good. So money, stuff, our heart, and Jesus. Do you know that God regularly makes challenge to us with our money? He regularly makes challenge to us in an opportunity to take this and invite it to a healthier place. Regularly. Yo, how, when? Well, show of hands if you're comfortable doing this in public. Just play along with me here. How many of you get paid once a month? It's a monthly challenge. How many of you get paid every other week? It's a bi-weekly challenge. How many of you get paid once a week? It's a weekly challenge. How many of you just wish you got paid? (laughs) Every time that there is resources into our hands... There is a moment of challenge for us to evaluate the entanglement of our stuff and our heart 
and it's in the form of the challenge of what the Bible calls the tithe. This is where I want, like for any of you that are just like, "Mm," like some of you are clenching up a little bit even maybe, and you're like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. Churches are only about money. And you're like, take a deep breath. Like, gusfraba, like deep breath, okay? Here's the reality of what I know though. This is one of our giving boxes over here. You pass it if you're here in the building when you walk out. Nothing special about this, nothing fancy, nothing magical, nothing spiritual, nothing supernatural. It's just a, a plain box, simple, ordinary box. But every single week, for those of you in this room, this box has unbelievable power. Maybe for some of you, if it's online, it's this moment. Can we put the screen up again? It was up a minute ago. Maybe, maybe it's that for you. It has a moment, either that screen or, or this box has the power within it to create maybe joy and thankfulness, or a realization of what we talked about last week. David wrote in the Psalms, the earth and everything in it is the Lord's. And so you go, everything is God's. I've just been given. And so I am thankful. And man, I'm just thankful for this. Maybe that's what it generates for you, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. You're like, ugh, I wish I could do more. I wish I could do something. And by the way, just know this. I, for some of you, maybe feel like that's what I'm trying to do today. Couldn't be further from the truth. I have no desire to shame anybody because that's not God's desire or design either. It is freedom. That's his desire. Maybe for some of you, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's skepticism. Maybe some of you have actually done a bit of a cursory look around the room at times, or you think about the amount of people, and you do a quick average in your head, that many people, that much money, and you're like, good grief, what do they need that much money for, and what do they do with it? Or maybe some of you, it's just anger. Maybe even right now, you're feeling it. You're like, dude, shut up. It's my stuff, my business, I'll do with it what I want. You're not going to tell me what God wants me to do with it. And all of that makes sense, especially given the fact that, we said this last week, so many churches like this and people like me have manipulated people like you, using Jesus, using the Bible to our own end. And so I feel a lot of that skepticism myself. But if this box in this moment creates anything more than joy and thankfulness, I think we're looking at it wrong. I'm going to take you to a place in the scriptures in the Old Testament, some 400 years before Jesus showed up and taught that whole passage about where your heart is, there your treasure is, and see where God began to lay down principles that Jesus would pull from when he taught that, that have to do with what God expects of those of us who are following him. And just the natural repercussions, should we say no, that's not what we're going to do and that's not who we're going to be. So about 400 years, so the the Bible, if you know it a little bit, it's broken up into two primary big sections, Old Testament, New Testament. Only a matter of pages separate the two, but actually in time, it was over 400 years. The last couple of things that God says to his people in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, it's the last book, there's four chapters, this is the third chapter. So literally, before the 400 plus years of silence, this is one of the last things that God delivers to his people by way of instruction of who he expects them to be. And this is what he says. Verse 6 of chapter 3. I, the Lord, do not change. And this is important. I'm going to do this the whole reading, but I want to point this out. He starts in a place that we can't miss because he's talking before anything that he expects of us. He talks of himself. He talks of his own nature before he talks about what it means for us to respond to that nature. And he says, I just need you to understand, I don't 
change. And that's important not just for this subject, but frankly, for every subject of invitation and instruction throughout the scriptures. In our changing world and our changing ideologies, it's so important to understand as we try to figure out what it means to pursue Jesus, who am I? It's so important to understand that everything he has laid out for us, he says, I don't change. So what I said here and what I say in 2022, I haven't changed. And this is what he says, I, the Lord, do not change so that you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. But ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. Everybody say decrees. I'm gonna come back to it. And you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? So God says, all right, for starters, I don't change. However, something's changed. We're not close anymore. You've wandered off. So if he says, I don't change, but there's been a change, it's not a trick question. Help me out. Who's changed? Right, we have. The people have changed. And he says, your change has been in response to not observing this decree of mine. Now, the word decree, this part of the Bible written in Hebrew can actually be translated a little bit different ways. One way is ordinance. It can be translated as decree, as in here, or ordinance. If you have the King James Version, New King James, it says ordinance. That term ordinance, if you draw it out a little bit further, it literally means principle for ordinary living. So this is what God's saying. Your wander off is a result of the fact that you are ignoring a baseline, so ordinary, a baseline principle of what you and I should look like in interactive relationship. And so the people respond back, and they're like, well, if there's been a wandering off, like, what what do we do? Like, how do we get back to where we were? They ask a very poignant question, and God is about to give a very poignant and specific answer to that. And, and I, I would just venture to believe if you have walked with Jesus any amount of time, you have found yourself in a similar kind of place where, where you've gone and something has changed. Things have just, they're different. Where you've had seasons of life where it feels like there's a gap all of a sudden. He's far or you're far, but there's just been a change. And there's all kinds of reasons why. There's as many people in this room, there's probably that many reasons why that could happen because God is a relational God. So think about all the things that could create relational distance between you and a friend, you and a spouse, right? So the same is true with God. But in this particular moment with this particular people, he says there is a reason why you and I are at a distance right now. And for some of us, it might be true that this is impacting our relationship with God as well. And this is what he goes on to say to them. Will you, a mere mortal, rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And so you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. This is probably one of the harshest things that you'll read in any place in the Bible. Where God, first of all, accuses his people of being thieves and thieves specifically to him. Matter of fact, the word robbing here, it's where we get the English version of embezzlement. He says, you're literally embezzling me from me. But then he even goes on further and he says, and because of that, there's a curse. God says, you are my people and you claim me as your God. But for some of you, you are literally embezzling from me. You are robbing me 
if you are ignoring my ordinary principle of living when it comes to the tithe. Now, here's what's important is to understand right now. This is not a man-made construct. This is not a Kensington idea or a church idea. This is an idea from God. Because this is where maybe even now more of the tension goes up for some of us. But I want you to understand that this, so for me, here's how I approach the scriptures. I believe, and this is what we believe at Kensington, that this book literally is the word of God. That there was a time in his power and in his sovereignty through human authors, their experiences, their personalities, that the Holy Spirit threw them on the paper. That's what we believe. So these words are from him. That's how I take it. So for me, as I approach the scriptures with that belief, if he said it, I'm going to do it. But my starting point is, these are his words. I just want to be clear about that. This isn't, this isn't a man-made construct. This isn't just a church idea from history back. This is a moment where God said to his people, part of the ordinary expectation of me and you is that if I have placed everything in your hands, is you entrust a portion of it back to me. And so I'll just tell you, for my wife and I, this has been an active part of our life. We've been married 25 years, and before we got married, this was a part of our life. Our entire marriage, this has been a part of our life. There, there was, uh, I'll never forget, years ago, I was at church. I invited a friend of mine to come with me. I worked with him at uh, Outback Steakhouse. And uh, there was the offering moment, and I put mine in. And he'd, he'd never been to church before with me. I think he'd probably been a few times before. But he literally grabs the, the plate as it went by, and he, he grabs my checkout, opens it, and reads it. And I was like, dude, you're not supposed to do that. And he looks at me, and he goes, you're not supposed to do that. He's like, what are you doing? And he's like, this is crazy. Why would you do this? I do it because God has invited me into a kind of relationship where I don't just receive from him, but I trust enough to give back to him as well. And that's what he invites his people into in this moment. Watch this. He says, here's how you're going to return. He goes on and he says in the last set of verses that close out, here's what you have to do. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food for my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God says, here's the pathway upon which you're going to close this gap between you and I. Return to this principle of the tithe that I gave you. Now, here's what I have to be really, really clear, because this is where one of the greatest heresies has ever come out of the church, the prosperity gospel, the name it and claim it, the, uh, the you know, I'll think of most of the, the TV preachers, like, you give to God, you give him a dollar, he's going to shake it together and turn it into 10 and give it back to you. You're going to get a better house and a better spouse, and you're going to get more money. Nonsense. Nonsense. That's not at all what happens. As a matter of fact, I want to camp here for just a minute because I think some of us have actually maybe had this ideology in our heads, and I want to explain to you a verse that's used most often as the primary verse to support this ideology that it, you have to give to God to get back from God. Because one of the misinterpretations I don't want you to make this morning is God is a play-to-pay kind of relationship. If you pay for it, you'll have a co- connection with him. That's not the case. But here's the verse that gets taken out of context so often. Verse 38 of the book of Luke, chapter 6. Give and it will be given to you. 
A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So that's what a lot of these kind of name it and claim it prosperity gospel preachers will use. I've heard this countless times. This is the way like, it gets shaken together and poured over. If you give, God will give it back double fold. Here's the problem with that. Context is everything. Read one verse. One verse above. Verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. How much was money talked about there? None. None. This is not about money. This is about relationship. The whole context is about how we interact with people and how we treat people. I had a mom come into my office a couple years ago, and she sat down, and she's not a single mom, but a very disconnected dad. I think, honestly, he was at the bar the time she came in. She's got five kids, and uh, I think they were all under, like, eight. So she comes in, and she sits down, and, and she's just sobbing. And she's, as soon as she hit the seat, she's like, She's like, they're awful. They treat me horrible. They tell me I'm fat. They tell me I'm stupid. They swear at me. They're just, they're mean to me all day long. And I'm just, like, I'm sitting here watching her pour her heart out about how her kids treat her. And they're all out in the lobby outside my office door, and they're playing. And I'm, I mean, my, like, dad factor is going up. I'm, like, ready to go out there in full dad mode. Like, you kids, what are you doing? And, like, I, I'm like, I got a belt on. And I'm, like, I'm getting more and more agitated as I'm listening to her talk. And I'm feeling for, so at one point, the kids are in the hallway, and they're just, they're being kids. They were not, they were not unusually obnoxious. They were not unusually loud. They were, like, I wasn't even really paying attention to them. They were just being normal kids in this moment. She gets up from my couch. She walks over. She opens up the door. She screams into the lobby or the hallway, and she's like, if you kids don't shut your mouth, I'm going to go out there, and I'll smack every one of you. I just don't know why they yell at me, and I don't know why they treat me this way, and they're just awful to me. I was like, whoa, I got an idea. <laughs> Here's the point. If you give your kids a portion of yelling, what are you getting a double portion of back? If you give a portion of judgment to other people, what are you getting a double portion back? Judgment. If you give a double portion of forgiveness, what are you getting back? Forgiveness. Do you get the idea? This is not about money. I just want to be very clear about this. Because it could be very easily misunderstood. So I have to be in right relationship with God. I've got to give money. No, 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 no. But my wife, Nicole, whom I love, if that love never transcended to me giving to her, just answer me out loud, honestly, is my love suspect at that point? Yeah. If in 25 years I say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but never any flowers, never any jewelry, never any any gifting of my love in physical form, does that have a negative impact on our relationship? 100% it does. So we don't give to get from God. We give because we've already gotten. We've gotten everything from him. We give out of a posture of we get to, we want to, we love to. But he says, if, if your heart is captivated with me, then your resources will be unleashed to me. So I just want to be abundantly clear to make sure that we don't venture into anything that for some of you sounds like prosperity gospel, name it and claim it, or God's going, we're only close if you give to me. That's not what's happening at all. In Paradox, I remember when we were, we were in that season and everything was just downturning for us with the economy. We, had to, we lost our health insurance. We had, uh, all of our staff had to take pay cuts. 
And I, I remember at the time talking to a number of other pastors who had decided because of all that and because things are difficult that they were just going to stop tithing. Like, I mean, things are difficult as it is, and it's kind of weird. I mean, we're giving to the church anyways, and then we get back and our salary, and so that's kind of weird. And I have one friend that looked at me one day, and he said, so I've decided because things are difficult and because it's already a little bit weird that we give to the church and we get back because I'm a pastor and I'm on staff, I've decided I'm not going to do it anymore. What would you say to me? And I was like, one word, resign. Nicole and I have constantly done this even when it was difficult. And hear me, I'm only saying this for one simple reason and one point to make right now. Nobody should care. Nobody should care. Why? Because it's ordinary. It's an ordinary principle for living. For the same reason, I'm not going to brag to you that I brushed my teeth today. Hey, guess what I did today? Brush my teeth. Nobody's like, thank you, Jesus. He brushed his teeth. In the hall, you may thank me, but nobody's celebrating that. Why? Ordinary. So here's what I have come to believe and understand God's invitation is is that my giving and my commitment to this thing he calls the tithe, it is an ordinary response to his extraordinary grace and love already given to me. There's a story of a couple here at Kensington, right here at Orient, as a matter of fact, Ben and Natalie. And this has been their journey. So for the next couple minutes, I just want you to watch their story and how God has been speaking into this area of their life and leading them. Here they are. Living on the East Coast, everything's very expensive. Mm-hmm. So moving to Michigan, we were like, oh, okay, like we can, you know, like save, we could get a, our dream house because it's, you know, not going to cost as much. So my dad's a builder and so he decided he'd build the house for us. So we had a wish list of everything we wanted in the house. I mean, we met with an architect and I remember, I remember God there's only a few times in my life where I've heard God very clearly. And that was one of them when he was like, no, Natalie, like you, this is not where I want, what I want you guys to do with your money. I don't want you to build this giant house. I have other plans for you. And it's like, I almost argued with God. I was like, okay, no, but Ben's worked so hard. He, you know, like he's moving to Michigan for me. Like we'll still give, we'll still be generous, but can we just build this house? So we started to build and uh, we moved in and what came with it, you, you know, you'd think you'd be so excited to have like your dream house, everything you could have imagined. It was a year or two of just anxiety for me. Coming from DC, I lived there for 25 years, right? It's, you, that's just what you do. It's like, hey, if you've got the money to go for the bigger house, go like when we sat down with the architect, it was like, okay, here's our wish list. Oh, what about this? What about this? And it just turned into this monster. And, um, I, I think I just got caught up a bit in the, hey, we can do it, so why are we not doing it? We got invited to uh, a dinner at somebody's house where um, they were going to bring in um, Julius, who was doing the Pocot um, uh, mission. It was uh, eye-opening, to say the least, about what was going on with the Pocot people and you know seeing you know just basic needs. you know. And we're, here we are with you know our big house. And I, I wouldn't say it was like, God said, change your life there, but definitely a seed was planted. Hearing these stories of people not having clean water, how I couldn't justify putting in this pool, right? <laughs> when, you know, and, it not, and it's not saying that there's nothing wrong with nice things. There's nothing wrong with swimming pools, yeah. but I think it's when you hear God, it's, it's listening and saying yes and being obedient to him. So I would say this, so that was kind of like a point where, God started to really work in us. And then it was 
a conversation, honestly, about a TV, about buying a new TV. Like Ben and I, it was right before Super Bowl, all the TVs were on sale and he wanted to get one for our family room and he was struggling with buying a TV. We have two of us and our kids don't even watch TV. <laughs> it's like, why do we have so many TVs? So um, I don't know. I, I think that was the point where I was kind of like, this is this this doesn't matter. Like this is totally useless. Like why are we doing this? So And it um, was that conversation that yeah. we like let's list the house. Yeah. It, it, went, literally... it went from let's not buy a TV to let's sell yeah. this house. Like this is not what God wants us to do. Yeah. And up the conversation with us and what she was hearing from God and then kind of reinforce the things I started to hear as well on what what he wanted us to do with our money so we knew family was probably gonna be like why what are they doing you know that this they were so excited and this you know my dad built the house and so at the time i felt convicted by god to share our story um so i wrote an email and sent it to family friends and um i think that was my first time like noticing that not everyone was going to agree. We were done with living for the worldly things. Or people thought I lost my job. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or something happened where yeah. like, oh, you have to sell the house. And, right. But I think this reinforced in me that this is not going to go away by like, oh, we're going to donate some money. And then, you know, I did my good deed, right? This is this is an ongoing, you know, mission that God's called us to and that we need to, you know, continue to be obedient to because like this is affecting people's physical life and their spiritual life, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, for me, it it was more just, Hey, we're, we're investing in the long term. And I think too, like with our kids, like that's a big piece is just setting an example for them. And it's always like, that is my first Mm -hmm. like focus for them to know what we're doing, to see what we're doing and to hear our story because I want them to be able to do that and know that that's a priority is to serve and to give to others. I mean, that's what Jesus asked us to do. The old self and the new self, my old self being someone that um, lived more for material things that was really focused on success and thought that's what brought happiness. And then the new self in Christ, knowing my joy comes from him and that... um, that I can have my strength and that I can, you know, be, we can be generous and giving through him. It's all through him. And it's a daily, it's a daily reminder, right? It doesn't just happen once. You take off your old self and you have your new self and that's it. I mean, it's a a daily, hourly prayer to keep the new self on so that we can continue to be courageous with the way we live because it's hard. I mean, it's a hard world. As we lean into what it means to live a generous life, we want to invite you into a journey we're calling the Generosity Challenge. And there are a lot of different ways we can live generously with the resources God has given us. And one of those ways is with our money. So for the next 90 days, we're inviting you to join us on a journey to take a step towards greater generosity. That if you're giving nothing, to try giving something. And if you're giving something, to take another step and to give something more. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 in the Old Testament, God invites us and challenges us, put me to the test. So let's do what God is asking us to do and test him in the area of our finances. And as we do this with the money that God has entrusted to us, I know he'll be faithful. And I'm not saying we're going to get a new car or that our basement isn't going to flood. 
but I truly believe that we will encounter him in a unique and powerful way. And I've experienced this in my own life. My mom was a single parent and also an immigrant, and she worked really hard to make ends meet for my family. And growing up, I always knew that things were tight and that we didn't have a lot as a family. And I remember going to the grocery store with my mom as a kid, looking at the shelves and thinking, I have to go with the generic brand because that name brand is too expensive. And so when I got a job and I started making money, I held onto it tightly because I was afraid. Afraid that if I gave my money away, I wouldn't have enough for myself or my family. So the idea of giving 10% to God was something that freaked me out. And I didn't do it because I didn't trust him. But what began to shift my perspective was I heard stories of people who didn't simply give 10%, but gave above and beyond. And they shared about how God had provided for them and how they saw him move in extraordinary ways. And I remember saying to myself, that's the life I want to live. I want to experience God like that. But I knew in order for this to happen, I had to take a step of faith and begin doing this with the money that God had entrusted to me. And I wish I could say it's been easy, that I made the decision in a moment and it's been amazing ever since. But if I said that, I'd be lying because it's been a journey and it's something I still struggle with to this day. But as I've taken step after step and moved towards greater generosity in this area of my life, I've been able to experience God like never before. I've experienced greater freedom. My faith has deepened because I've learned that I can trust him and I've seen him also provide and I've also been able to experience a peace contentment and freedom that's not tied to my bank account, which goes up and down all the time, but one that's rooted in Jesus, who never changes. And I believe that if you take this step, you'll experience something similar. And here at Kensington, we so deeply believe this, that we're starting a 90-day generosity challenge to give a predetermined intentional percentage of our income for 90 consecutive days. And on this 90-day journey, if you don't experience God move in a powerful way in your life, we'll give you all of your contributions back, no questions asked. And you don't have to give here because that's not the goal. The goal is to give somewhere. And as we do, for us to begin to do a little bit more of this with the resources God has given us. And so we want to invite you to pray about this. Think about this. Talk about this with your family. And if you do decide to give to Kensington at the end of those 90 days, nothing happened. You didn't see God do anything. The only thing that happened was your pockets got a little lighter. Let us know and we'll give everything back to you, no questions asked. And we're doing this because we truly believe that through this journey, you'll discover what I discovered, that God is faithful, he can be trusted, and he will show up and meet us where we are. All right, we talked about money in church. Wasn't that bad, was it? <laughs> yeah. We started off this morning with the whole song, When You're Speaking, and talked about listening. So here is all I would add to what Andrew said. Just listen. And do what he leads you to do. And maybe it's participating in the generosity challenge. Maybe it's giving entirely somewhere else. I told you last week, and 100% mean this, I have a list of 10 other places. If you're like, for reasons of skepticism, lack of trust, whatever, think you've got agenda and motives, I wouldn't give here. Okay, I'll give you 10 other places that I encourage you. This is not about us trying to get your money. It is about us trying to lead all of us as a community into the freedom of what God says. When you detangle your heart from your stuff, it can be more captivated with me. And so listen, and just do whatever he leads you to do. 
And maybe that's nothing. Maybe right now it's like I'm doing what I'm able to do or doing nothing is what I'm comfortable doing. But maybe it's more. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's more somewhere else. But you'll never regret it and you'll never go wrong when you listen and do what he leads you to do. And then ask him to keep doing that moment with you and him of trust and obedience, trust and obedience over and over and over and over again. We're gonna sing a song that actually speaks to that truth that God longs to do these moments of relational beauty between you and him over and over and over again. Father, I pray your words would be clear. Anything I said that was not from you, take it away, strip it from our minds, be our pastor, be our teacher, be our shepherd and our counselor, be our father as you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to invite you to stand sing with us this last song this morning as we lean into God's faithfulness.
Sorry to say I came out on time this time so you don't get to see the moonwalk off the stage. Hey, God is after your what? Your heart, not your stuff. And I hope that's what you hear more than anything else throughout the rest of this series. So thankful it's beautiful weather out there. That is a gift of God. So go and enjoy it and the rest of your week and we will see you next Sunday. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.